We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of Mad Magazine Presents Up the Academy on June 6, 1980. It was written by Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus, directed by Howard Stark himself, Robert Downey Sr., and released by Warner Brothers. Say it again! And released by Warner Brothers. <laughs> The film was shot entirely in Salina, Kansas at St. John's Military School. So anything I thought was Los Angeles was not. The poster art was done by Jack Rickard, or Ricard, not sure. Regular cover artist for Mad Magazine and occasional poster artist for films like the original Pink Panther film, Uptown hmm. Saturday Night starring Sidney Poitier, Holy Moses, which we'll discuss later this year. And he also did an unused poster for 1980s Serial, which shares a cast member with this film. Rick Baker did the makeup for the Alfred E. Newman mascot that bookends the film. Which is really good. <laughs> it's super creepy, but surprisingly <laughs> accurate. With the face just a little bit smaller than a normal face would be in the middle of this wide, circular head. It's, it's like kind a, of... It's like a Dick Tracy character. Yeah, there is one guy with a wide face in there, right? It kind of reminds me of when Drop Dead Fred smashes his face in the refrigerator. Reminiscent of SNL's Charlie Brown sketch or that time Drop Dead Fred got his head stuck in the refrigerator. <laughs> that's what I have in my notes here. <laughs> um, that's pretty incredible. Uh, William Gaines, longtime publisher of Mad Magazine, reportedly paid Warner Brothers $30,000 to cut the Alfred E. Newman bookends and the word Mad Magazine presents out of the title for all the cable and TV rebroadcasts. They were only added back for the DVD release after Time Warner bought Warner Brothers. In keeping with tradition, Mad Magazine even published a parody of their own movie retitled Mad Magazine Resents Throw Up the Academy, and it's actually less funny than this movie somehow. I don't think this was a parody of the movie itself. I mean, I guess... No, no, no. I'm saying Mad Magazine published a parody of this in their magazine. Yeah, no, no. I understand what you're saying. Okay. I, I I guess it is a parody, but I guess I think that parodies are meant to be like funny and homagey, and this was just plain up. We didn't like this, and we are trying to insult. Yeah, but it, it was definitely homaging the film. It was referencing scenes from the film in a parody. Yeah, it's a hundred percent a parody. All right, fine. <laughs> but um. After the failure of the film to connect with audiences, Mad did not reattempt live action material until Mad TV premiered 15 years later, uh, which I think was much better. The original cast of Mad TV was super funny. Mm -hmm. There was actually really decent people on there. Star Ron Liebman had the good sense to demand his name be removed from the film after a very early screening. Uh, this was rated R for the same reason as Galaxina was, which was to trick people into thinking there was boobs in it when there wasn't. Uh, in the movie X-Men Apocalypse in 2016, a theater marquee can be seen screening this film, despite the fact that Apocalypse takes place in 1983, and no theater in their right mind would be playing this film a month after it came out. This is because the actor who played Oliver in Up the Academy was a producer 
on Apocalypse, Mm -hmm. and the former president of 20th Century Fox. The film marks the first feature film appearance of Karate Kid Ralph Macchio in a very early uncredited role for Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr., son of the film's director. According to a tweet from Mad Magazine's official verified account on March 2nd of 2018, an A-list writer was actively penning a sequel to the film. Wait, what? <laughs> I hope that doesn't actually happen. It, that's got to be that's got to be a joke, right? It was on March 2nd, so it seems early for that kind of a joke, but Yeah, no, but... I don't really understand Mad Magazine jokes anyway, so <laughs> I guess that's true. Uh, we start the film with Chucha's dad dressing him down from behind a desk of a home office. He seems a mafioso type, and uh, Chooch is a disappointing son. Uh, we get a weird jump cut mid-sentence from this character. Uh, I don't know if it's just because they couldn't get one solid line out of the actor at a time. But uh, Chooch doesn't want to follow in the family business, and his father calls in goons to drag him to the airport and take him to military school. Uh, we cut to Ike. Uh, Eisenhower, he's with his father, and his father is telling him to say goodbye to his stepmother, who he seems to have a romantic relationship with. She asks where the weed is, and he tells her it's in her diaphragm case. Then we cut to somewhere in the Middle East, where Hash is saying goodbye to a woman he thinks is his mother, but his father quickly explains that's not her, and he says the veils confuse him. Yeah, these are all supposed to be jokes, just just in case it, oh, wasn't, are they? it wasn't clear they're supposed to be oh okay he is being sent away for basically just being a petty thief he steals things constantly from people including a watch from his father right here in this scene uh he has been given a million dollars spending money on this trip now we're back in america where oliver and his girlfriend are being lectured by oliver's father but the subtitles are still in arabic and then the word oops appears next to them but whatever it said in arabic is never translated into english lol it seems they're discussing a pregnancy And Oliver's father is a politician, specifically an anti-abortion politician in an election season. And he assures them that they will do the right thing. We cut to the abortion clinic where girlfriend Candy is being walked in by her mother and waves goodbye to Oliver's plane leaving for military school. This movie is hilarious. Get it? Abortion jokes. like a good abortion scene to get your, I don't know. Title sequence with toy soldiers tipping over domino style to blow-ups kicking up a fuss. Which might have been just a mediocre song if it had played once or twice, but because it's used about a hundred times as every scene transition, it becomes very quickly super annoying. The members of the academy are in officer's uniforms and an older guy dressed like a general, specifically General Patton, I guess, is standing in front of a giant american flag on the wall and he gives a Patton style motivational speech in front of the flag before farting because farts are funny and uh we cut to rifle practice a couple of kids flip over backwards from the recoil because that i think that's a joke too i'm not sure what's supposed to be jokes and what's just a thing that happens in military school the kids all get their haircuts but get this the guy giving the haircuts he's gay i mean he's gay excuse me he's blind Oh, and he's doing he a bad see. job. He's not doing a good job, yeah. He's doing a bad job because he is blind and that's he's so got un- his cane so up unexpected. in the air over the kids' faces and stuff. It's really, really funny. It's like funny. the opposite of what you would think that somebody who gives haircuts would be like. You'd think he would actually be really good at cutting hair because... Because he feels it more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would think that. 
but that's not what happens. He's actually bad at well, it. But also, don't we then cut to all of the kids in the barracks and none of them none have of them had have their got, haircuts yeah. since we saw them We last? only see one kid get a haircut and it's just like one patch just shaved off of the side of the front of his head and then he gets out of the chair and that's it and we never see that kid again. Because <laughs> he just he just got paid. Hey, to we get one chunk of his hair we, shaved we, we need a kid who's willing to get this done and then not be in the rest of the movie. Chooch is measured for his uniform and uh he grabs a pair of scissors to threaten this character sison or sison i don't know he's credited as s-i-s-s-o-n so i'm gonna say sison uh when his hands get too close to chooch's gooch and then he like looks up and sets down the all the measuring equipment and like oh i don't want to get stabbed with scissors it's funny because the guy doing this is is their uh stereotype gay guy Hash steals candles from the Academy Church, and he stores them in a chest by his bunk. I don't know why he gives a shit about candles or candle holders. Candlesticks, yeah. Um, Perhaps he plans to murder someone with them. Yeah, maybe. I don't think it's about the objects for him. He seems to just get a a thrill out of stealing, yeah. Um, Either way, there didn't seem to be much of a challenge to taking these. He just kind of picked them up and walked away with them. But uh, the boys all meet each other in their room there's there's three bunk beds even though there's only four kids they should only need two bunk beds but we need one for later so there's three chooch is a dick um he just (laughs) shouts at everybody and he won't shake anybody's hands leisman enters with like an icy breeze like they they make a big deal about how there's literally like the sound of wind plays every time he walks in I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and it they, happens they, like nine times over the course <laughs> of the movie. Well, so I could tell you how much this movie kept my attention, and that was almost not at all. Okay. Well, every time he's about to enter the room, you hear the sound of wind, and then all the guys start shivering and holding themselves like it's cold, and then he walks in. Because the joke is that he's cold. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know why it's he funny. He makes cold. He makes cold. So he has like some superpower that they don't delve into in this first installment. Maybe they were going <laughs> to reveal come, it'll it. It'll come in the remake. In sequels. <laughs> the sequel. Or maybe his character was originally called Iceman, but he's called Liceman now. So it's like they parodied it before they wrote it. He says that he came to the Academy at age seven and he didn't have any friends when he's trying to convince them that it's very important to have friends and he wants to be their friend. He asks whose bed he's standing near and Oliver says, it's mine. And then he says, say it again. And he says, mine, sir. And he oh, says, say no. it again. Yeah, he, yeah, say, yeah it he, again. say it again. He doesn't say, say it again. again. He says, say it again. Please say that once more. Say it again, mine, sir. Say it again. And then, uh, so that's a funny joke because he makes him say it a bunch of times. And then he says, it's chilly in here, sir, because he's cold, because the guy's cold and he makes it cold. And he says, I'm sorry. Say it again. It's just a little chilly in here, sir. Say it again. It's just a little chilly in here, sir. So that's funny because then they say that a few times. Because of rule of threes. Repetition is just funny oh, is on that its how own. That works? That's the secret of comedy. There's no I context required. You could just repeat yourself three times and the third time it's funny. On his way out, he finds Hash's stolen candlesticks. And he says, the next time I catch you stealing, I'm going to rip your balls off. Uh, he walks out of the building past a dog wearing a uniform that says Patty on it. And he says, doing the best I can, Sergeant Patty. Oliver writes a letter to his girlfriend, Candy. If he screws up the election for his father, he's not going to get the car that he wants. So uh, they have to be very careful. Leisman gives him the letter later. Well, gives uh, him the response. Uh, the response from Candy. Uh, it's all torn open because Leisman read it. 
and he says oh don't try and sneak out of here and he's like well i'm not going to sneak out my girlfriend's like completely across the country and he's like nope she's right over there at that other girl's military school uh so don't go over there um and the rest of the letter was just lovey-dovey bullshit and he's like sorry sir i'll tell her not to write that stuff and he's like it's your letter i don't care uh we cut to the students attending a munitions class with miss bliss as portrayed by Barbara Bach doing yeah. Agent Triple X. Yes. And she's doing some unidentifiable accent. I think it was her impression of a southern accent. Yeah. But well, it's awful. It's so weird that uh Barbara uh, like a little side tangent about Barbara Bach. Uh she's she claimed that she couldn't get a lot of roles because everyone thought she was European. Yeah, it but, sounds like a European person doing a southern accent. Here. Yeah, but it, I guess like she had a problem. She was like raised in America. Yeah, she was she, born in Queens. Yeah, but apparently, like, because she can do accents really well because of her what? really mixed. She can't though. No, no, no. Like no, <laughs> like like European accents. Okay. Uh, everyone just assumed that that's what she was, and so she didn't get a lot of roles. And I feel like they had her for this role, and they're like, "You're not, you're not talking right." When they probably heard her talking normally. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> and they had her try to do something weird. Whatever they asked her to do, they should have asked her to do something different immediately after. Or just talk in her normal voice, because it couldn't possibly have been as weird as what she's doing here. Maybe she was only good at European accents. And so when they she asked... She can't even talk. So when they asked her to do Southern, it sounded like a weird combination of European and Southern. It sounds like a Swedish person doing a Southern accent. It does. That's what it, it sounds really like does. to me. In this course, you'll become familiar with a number of basic field weapons, such as... The one I'm holding, the M1 recallless semi-automatic rifle used by the U.S. Army Infantry. Or even better, why can't she just be someone from Europe? Yeah, there's no why reason. Did, why does she have to be Southern? Nothing about this movie makes sense. Yeah. So the kids are all just sitting here watching this presentation of uh, she's all the weapons are dicks and she's rubbing them and all the kids ejaculate in their pants watching the lecture. Now back in the room. Ike is lip-syncing to a radio broadcast of his father's televangelism. Uh, in the foreground, Hash is literally bowing to a pyramid of five cans of Castrol GTX motor oil. Uh, he appears to also drink some later on. Does like he's he? got like he's passed out with like a can of it in his yeah, arms. That checks out. Uh, Chooch turns off the radio. I don't know if we mentioned because he's Arab. Oh yes, uh, he's Arab. The guy who couldn't tell his his mom's apart because they were all wearing veils is arab and ike here is an african-american child and his father is a televangelist chooch was trying to do homework or something and he's done listening to this radio so he walks over and turns it off and oliver's like that's ike's father but nobody in this room wants to hear this televangelist broadcast and ike already hasn't memorized like nobody cares oliver tells ike he's looking for the girls academy on a map so finally we're getting into a plot right sort of <laughs> well i mean it's a, it's an actionable thing so far yeah. they have just been going to school which is not a, like an right. action of a story it's just something that you do yes uh Cison pops his head in and says hey guys i'm gonna do the laundry can y'all give me your shorts and they're like oh we're good we're gonna do our laundry tomorrow and he's like okay darn it i don't get to see your balls and then cold wind sounds again and everyone's shivering very exaggeratedly uh, like we get a, a separate insert for each kid shivering because mm-hmm. they really want to hammer at home what's happening here and i don't get it still 
every, everything about this movie falls short. He doesn't even but, come in. He's just walking yeah. past the room. Why not just go the extra step to build like this set in like a refrigerated room so you can see their breath, or yeah. just 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 for these like a few inserts, just to make it seem like oh yeah, it really you want, is. You wanted them to put more effort yeah. into this. Yeah, if, I wanted. But if you're more gonna effort. do that, why not put the extra effort in to make it into an actual joke? Yeah, or like yeah, have someone take another whack at the script. Does Mad Magazine know any comedy writers? Maybe they could. <laughs> um, but seriously, like, I've never found the magazine funny either. Well, so from that little snippet that you you shared with us, which was the Mad Magazine parody of this movie, that's what that's what all of their movie parody strips are like. But well, it, that's what the whole magazine isn't about. That yeah. though, but well, it most seemed, of it is. It, but it seemed like they didn't uh, they didn't write this movie. They acquired the rights to this movie and then just put their name on no. it. No. Oh, they wrote it. They were they were paid by Warner Brothers to write this film. Oh, all right. Then they did a poor job. Yeah. Or they did a rewrite on what Warner Brothers gave them. But either way, it's a film that they put their stamp of approval on and put in theaters. They took their stamp off later, but at at some point they were satisfied with their name being on this and that's what do you mean that's they on them. took their stamp off later. Just the The guy who runs Mad Magazine paid thirty thousand dollars to take the words Mad Magazine presents out of the title and cut out all the footage of Alfred E. Newman from the movie because he didn't want to look like he approved the movie, even though he already put it in theaters like that. Okay. But that's not how it works. If if you already said it was good enough, then it's too late. Now we hear the narration of ike writing a letter to his father saying oh i heard your broadcast it sounded great also i met your friend the devil his name's leisman and you're right he is white like white on lice because people always say that the devil is freezing cold is it an exorcist joke that the room is cold when he comes in is he literally supposed to be a demon no i don't think so i think that it's i think that it's supposed to be a play on his name being lice which sounds like ice and it just falls flat every time I but didn't the, even think of that. Well, that's terrible. But the, isn't the joke lice, though? I thought the lice was the joke of his name because lice are gross. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to have to write to these people. Apparently, he already has a new stepmom for some reason. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't seem to factor into the plot at all. He lies to his father about his soccer performance because... Uh, the coach thinks he's bad at soccer, but he says that the coach thought he was good at soccer. So that's funny because it's different than what happened. It, lies are funny automatically. After a fight on the soccer field, the coach throws a ball at one of the kids, and as he's storming away, he exclaims, And for this I gave up being white! That's the joke. Yeah. That's the joke he says there. It's because the coach is, I should, sorry, I messed that up. The coach is black. Now the joke is hilarious, right? Yeah. It's a black coach says, and for this, I gave up being white, hinting at some sort of secret scientific experiment wherein you could trade your coachdom for a new skin color. And so he gave up being white so that he could coach the soccer team, and now he's black. Horns blast, and Leisman issues a challenge. The faculty and the students will participate in a face-off soccer game in 29 days for Parents Weekend. We get quick shots of the kids listening to this speech. We see Robert Downey Jr. yawning, probably because this movie's boring. (laughs) (laughs) 
Chooch scores a goal when no one is paying attention and everyone acts like that's impressive. Even Leisman is like going like nodding his head in approval. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is going to be a good game because they they got what I I have to admit, I thought that this movie was going to pull some kind of switcheroo where Leisman is just being really hard on them because he wants them to be better like to like, be better uh, people. Like that movie about drumming with J.K. Simmons. Um, kind of, but I, uh, I was thinking more like the opposite of Gorp, okay. where where they have the 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 counselor who they think is their friend and is secretly like screwing them over. But I thought this just was be gonna, the other way around. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like he's really hard on them because he he knows that they can do better. And when he what, what hammered that weird theory home, given nothing else in that in the movie, is when he's like nodding in approval of Chooch like playing the game, playing on the team, and scoring yeah. a goal. It's like okay. Maybe this movie has something. Maybe there's going to be a core to this movie. Maybe there's going to be some kind of heart at the center of this garbage. Yeah. So then Chooch goes and he gets the ball out of the goal that he just kicked it into. And then he just kicks it at Leisman, who catches it. And then he kicks it back. But it's not like a joke about how he can't kick it back far. Because he kicks it far. He just kicks it in a different direction. He kicks it over all the rest of the kids' heads. Well, the teachers always win. So I would imagine that they're actually good right so i don't know why they had him kick it back other than so that hash could go grab it and then kick it back at leisman again and it hits leisman as he's walking away oh you know what the problem was they should have done it a third time oh (laughs) if they did it three times i would i would still be laughing so the ball hits him in the head and he says hash get over here and he says, I couldn't tell who did it, sir. I only know it wasn't me. And uh, Leisman tells him to take off his copa, which is like the thing on his head. And he says, well, no, I, I have religious exemption. You can't you can't ask me to take this off. My my religion expressly forbids it. I'm not clear what religion this guy is supposed to be. What, would you guess that if he's a Middle Eastern character that he's supposed to be a Muslim? Because um, that would have been my guess for this character. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that that's what we're we're supposed to be. We are getting very little context clues from the movie about what he's supposed to be or who right. he's supposed to be. He's from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, he has an account with the bank, the first bank of Arabia. But specifically in this particular instance, I think he's joking. Right, but like, I'm just it's asking. Not he doesn't he doesn't have any religious reasons why he's supposed to. Yes, take correct. It on. But. Moving forward in the story, it becomes relevant whether or not this character is supposed to be Muslim or not. I'm also really confused by him because he sounds like he's speaking with an English accent, and maybe the actor just couldn't do well, a different accent. Or is he supposed to be an English Arab? I don't understand this character. I, I, I feel what he's doing, and I actually kind of feel he's doing it pretty well, is the uh, a lot of Arabs are educated in England uh or they have special tutors brought in that teach them english and they it kind of affects their manner of speaking english okay um if you ever listen to like like uh like alexander siddig uh speak uh you play dr bashir on uh ds9 it's just a very unique kind of accent and i feel he's actually maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong but i feel like he's doing actually a pretty decent job with it sure um but uh i'm not I'm not it's like I feel like I'm uh uh saying that this is okay what he's doing for this person to do I don't this, I don't but. remember what the actual nationality of the actor is either and I, I I wouldn't say that this is like a situation where that's problematic especially for 1980 
I think that, you know, this is the least of the offensive things that mm-hmm. he does in this movie is his accent. But well, um, the the actor's name is Tommy Satara. Yeah. And it says he was born in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> but he's being told to take this copa off by Leisman and uh, he won't do it. So Leisman rips it off his head um, because he says he stands out like a turd in a punch bowl. And when he takes it off, he spills a bunch of stolen objects, including Leisman's own watch. Um, and he says, what did I tell you I was going to do if I caught you stealing again? And he says, you said you'd rip my balls off. And he says, that's right, now leave. And so he leaves. Instead of having his balls ripped off, we see the kids in the bathroom. They're being forced to clean the bathrooms. It's Hash and Oliver are here cleaning the bathrooms. And Hash says, hey, Oliver, you can use one of my cars to get over to that girl's school if you want. Then we have a cold breeze sound effect. And Leisman walks in and he tells Oliver to leave and he sits down and he tells Hash that he could offer him a reward in exchange for selling out his friends if they're planning anything and he says well what what would be the reward and he says well you wouldn't have to do this kind of crap anymore so the reward is just an absence of punishment back in the room Rodney Vervegard arrives this is the least funny kid of the five the kids I've described already are funnier then Rodney Vervegard. He was kicked out of a school called Handelman for burning it down, or part of it. And he laughs a lot. Well, I don't think that this backstory is true, though. Right, but this is what we this, this is, is what, what we, we hear now. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Yeah, like I, I'm so sorry I spoiled up the Academy for you all. Yes, <laughs> I loved this movie until you did that. I thought this was Greg Grungberg at first. <laughs> I I thought the kid looked really familiar, but he's not in much. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, he asks Chooch if he wets the bed because he was going to be sharing a bunk bed with Chooch. And Chooch says that he usually pees off the side, which is just a funny joke already. And then Rodney says, well, I do it sometimes. I, I, I pee in the bed sometimes. And I don't know if that's a joke or if it's set up for what's said next. Uh, Eisenhower says... You're putting me on. Aren't you a little old to pee the bed? And then he walks across the room and stands next to him on the bunk bed and like rests his hands on Rodney's arm while they continue the conversation about how Rodney pees the bed. And then Rodney says, I can't help it. I'm emotionally disturbed. (laughs) And I don't know if that's like a character study or a joke. (laughs) But he keeps laughing like an idiot for the whole scene. (laughs) Ha ha ha. (laughs) <laughs> and he can't even like decide what the laugh is like he keeps changing it <laughs> it's just keeps happening the next day the guys are all eating breakfast in bizarre unison they share this plan that they're going to jump the wall with rodney and uh, leisman shows up and he's like who who is this why is there another kid here and uh and he says i'm rodney ververgard i'm i'm here from handelman and he's like oh you're the firebug huh and he looks over his paperwork and he's like, all right, this all seems right. Why are you wearing those weird glasses? And he says, oh, because mine caught fire in a weird accident. And he's like, okay, well, you got to wear normal glasses because you stand out like a turd in a punch bowl. So that that joke was funny before. We said it again, so now it's funnier. Um, if we repeat it a third time, it'll Oh, my be God. The if funniest. this comes back, you guys are going to die. Chooch tells them that they're going to get caught. Uh, it's none of it's none of my business, but you guys are gonna get caught if you try and get out of here. So that night they head off to the girls' school. They first they have to cross the barbed wire that's wrapped around their own school, and so Rodney burns it. Yep. He 
he burns it. He burns it. <laughs> he uses a lighter to burn the barbed wire until it breaks. Because, you know, barbed wire is made of, like, cotton fibers. Right. He burns it. <laughs> and then they crawl along the floor much lower than the wire even was. Indicating they could have done this without even burning the metal with a simple lighter. Also, there's a guard tower. And you would think that they would see a light source right, in the dark. Like a lighter melting its way through barbed wire. Right. Which Happened. I estimate would take probably an hour sure yeah and i'm sure there was enough butane in this lighter to do that for an hour they go to a house that hash bought somehow and they find a car in the garage that hash bought somehow that that he bought and paid someone to park in this house uh with like a half tank of gas for some reason then we get this other joke how can an arab run out of gas (laughs) get it because arabs uh is a word that people use to describe people from oil producing countries the oil is then processed into gasoline for vehicles um so that's funny and then there are three employees at this gas station despite it being a self-service place there's like three guys in uniform sitting outside the gas station right even though they don't do anything outside the gas station uh ike asks if he can go to the bathroom and they say go in the woods boy uh, because they're all racist hicks um hash tries to pay with his bank of arabia credit card but the guy won't take it because he doesn't know what the bank of arabia is i think that's how he says it bank of arabia what in the hell is this um so hash just drives away without paying for the gas because you pay after um this is back in the the heyday of gas purchasing when you pay after i miss it uh this guy screwed it up for the rest of us so he drives away, but then he remembers that Ike is still peeing in the woods. So he loops back around, and as they're passing Ike, Ike makes the decision. <laughs> you pointed this out, Chess. <laughs> he jumps on the hood of the car to get in as they drive past. But this is a convertible. It's a convertible. He could have very easily just jumped in the back seat, but instead he jumps on the hood. Yes, he made a very specific decision to jump on the hood of the car. And then as they're driving away, he flips over the windshield into the back. Um, and then he says, I always wondered what they looked like without their sheets on. Like he didn't know that the people in the KKK were just white guys. Um, Which you didn't, I had to explain that joke to yeah, you. Yeah, because I was looking away understand. from the screen and I was like, is he talking about, did the Copa come off again or something? What is he talking about without the sheets? And then I was like, oh, okay, KKKs, got it. They crash full speed into a ditch outside the girls' school. And as a result, Oliver is catapulted from the back seat over the fence. And, and the gas station people are still chasing them. Right. And Ike, who is also in the backseat, is not catapulted at all. He stays in the car. He's fine. Oliver poses as a tree moving across the yard as a group of girls is marched through the grass at night by Robert Downey Jr.'s sister, actually. Uh, she's the one shouting at them to, to march. Oliver throws a rock through a window. I, I think you're supposed to use a pebble. I don't know yeah. if it's a joke that he broke the window I mean, or if he doesn't care. I, I called it before he threw it. He's like, he's just going to break a window. Right. Because that would be the funny thing to do in this situation when you're just supposed to tap it. Yeah. Then uh, then he says to the girl who sticks her head out the window, can you tell me where I can find candy? And she says, try the vending machine in the lobby because she's hilarious. And uh, Candy can hear him talking with this girl. And she says, Oliver, is that you? And he says, lower a rope. 
and she says i don't i don't have a rope and he says okay i'm gonna climb up and she says okay wait i'll brush my hair what does that mean yeah wait i'll brush my hair is this a rapunzel situation or are you literally just telling him not to climb up until you've brushed or, or, your or hair or is this like i have to powder my nose but why tell him to wait it's going to take him at least five minutes to get up the side of this building right how long does it take to brush your hair so while he's climbing along the side of this building we get a montage of all the things that are going inside all the rooms he's looking into as he's crawling across including a woman who is shaving but using a clock as a mirror okay I'd have did, to go did, back and check that. Oh I didn't my realize goodness. it was a clock. Uh, like I, I, I will, I will pull like it. a pocket watch. No, it's like it's, it's a like a full clock. And I was like, "What? What is this?" See, because I didn't think there were even any attempts at jokes in this, but I guess I missed that. Because it bothered me that as he's going by, there's just people doing things that people would do in a military well, academy. But I assumed that the joke here was that she was shaving her face. And Oh, well, and the school is, is okay, called so, Butch or whatever. So here, here yes, is... Yes, I see. There, oh, watch. You can see the hands on it. And it's, it's, a, it's like squared. Yeah, it's an octagonal... It's a clock. Okay, so she's using the reflection of the clock to shave by, though. Right, but but why not just a mirror? <laughs> they didn't have a mirror that day. But here's a better question. Why aren't there boobs? Isn't that in... a mirror right there in the background? Why aren't there boobs in any of these rooms? Because these are underage girls, Patrick. Then get overage girls. It's a rated R movie. It's a rated R movie, and he's climbing past the windows of a girls' school at night, and we're looking at girls just fighting, like they're practicing for a military academy. Well, they didn't want to be cliche. They didn't? No. <laughs> That's why you have a woman shaving her face with an electric razor. This movie is rated R. I don't think there's even... Is there even an F-bomb in this movie? Why is this movie rated R? There must have been an F-bomb or two. Anyway, he gets in, and he starts to kiss Candy... And very quickly they're having sex, but he realizes he left his wallet in the car. So he has sex without the condoms that he brought. And uh, as he comes, he says, there goes my father's election, which is, uh, that's hilarious. Because he's implying he's going to have another abortion. Right, but his father already made this girl get an abortion. So how is this, how is it going to get out that she got the second abortion but not the first abortion how does he know she's pregnant already or maybe the implication is that she is not going to have an abortion this time okay and for some reason yeah and then he would have a baby out of wedlock yeah but that's you in know. nine months if they don't get married i don't know palin got elected oh wow they're picking me up in one minute he notices oh wow they're picking me up in one minute and he leans out the window when two women with dogs are doing the rounds start barking at him and he ducks back in and he leaves her room just as her roommate enters and we stay in the room with her and the roommate and the roommate sits down on the bed all covered in dirt and says i worked my nuts off and i'm one tired soldier this was a, a joke maybe i i don't know what this was supposed to be but I, it was like i had a moment of like genuine compassion for this girl who looked like yeah. she was just really tired yeah there's there's nothing funny about anything she said and it just seems like they accidentally left an extra line in the scene 
Oliver finds the women with dogs again at the stairwell as he's trying to escape. And uh, he turns and runs away again, but comes head to head with the girl whose window he broke. And then he ends up jumping over the uh, over the railing of these stairs past the women with dogs. Hash swerves past the school to pick him up just as he's jumping over the fence. Again, still being pursued yes. by the gas station people. When, when, uh, there's a point in which Oliver is like looking out and sees them just like chasing each other in circles in the parking lot. Yeah. Because that's going on. Yeah. So he jumps, uh, he jumps into the car and Hash drives away. And the Hicks accidentally crash through the fence. And then their car breaks down. So they get out of the car angry. So angry, in fact, that they just push the doors off of the side of the truck as they're getting out of it. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a joke or their car is just bad. Um, but the women with the dogs are there and they're mid werewolf transformation. <laughs> so they're just growling and swinging blades. This doesn't make any sense. And this is the most bizarre part of the movie. And then you just cuts the black with them screaming. Yeah. So you're like, did. Did they kill them? I think they murdered these but guys. They, but it's also like the most half-assed performance. Yes. <laughs> they are just like growling and swinging their arms very mildly like they're stabbing in the air. And it's not even like it's a parody of something that exists in movies or an ex- exaggeration of something that anyone's ever done. It's just two women growling like dogs and swinging knives around. The kids drive past a trailer on the side of the road and as they're making the hilarious joke that Anybody can get laid in a whorehouse. Uh, we hear a loud fart come from the trailer. And then the general guy is thrown out onto the street by two choking prostitutes. Because the joke is then that he can't get laid in a whorehouse because he farted. They get back to the garage to park the car. And they pull all the way in very slowly before they notice that standing right in front of them in the middle of the headlights is Leisman. And, and then they, they say, hit him. They say, oh no. And he says, Don't you mean, oh no, sir? But he says it like that. Don't you mean, oh no, sir? As they are driving through him. He's still saying the line when they hit him and drive through the wall. And it doesn't sound like he got hit at all. At first, I was sure that they didn't hit him. Except we get one shot of him laying across the hood with a hand on the windshield. And they just keep driving with him on the front of the car. And then we just cut to him giving them a lecture in his bungalow. And they're all shivering because of that shitty running gag I don't get. And Leisman reveals that he has pictures of Oliver and Candy having sex. I guess he was like up at the window there while they were doing that. No, because all of these pictures are like... Taken with a flashlight pointed at them in the darkness. In the darkness and bedside. Yeah. These pictures came from nowhere. Yes. And so they ask him where they came from and he says you mean did you mean to say sir and then they say sir and then he says i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> he's not gonna tell them in exchange for not sharing the pictures leisman wants a shoe shine and to have sex with oliver's girlfriend so reasonable that's, request that's all he's asking to have sex with a child and clean shoes uh the kids later realize that leisman knows a lot about their plans somehow and uh, oliver guesses for no reason that he may know a lot, but Leisman for sure doesn't know who played second base for some baseball team at, at some time in some season. And then, the joke here, get this, Leisman's outside and he just shouts the player's name from the hallway. So he knew the name of that baseball player. Right. Um, this joke would make no sense if Leisman wasn't around and Oliver just said that. 
it would be really weird if Oliver said that. Mm-hmm. So the everything but the punchline makes no sense. Because we know that Oliver is all about sports statistics. Right. Because that's been established. <laughs> Back in Miss Bliss's class, Ike tells Rodney that Chooch is the stoolie. But Rodney's not listening because he is ogling the teacher. And he says, Could you keep it down, Ike? Some of us are trying to come. That's why it's rated R. Oh, there you go. That's it. That's it. That that's hilarious joke was worth it. Was worth keeping everyone who would think this movie was funny out of the theater. New plan. Hash is going to fake an injury during the soccer game so they can get away from the game for a minute and steal the pictures. Back from the bungalow. They pretend near Chooch that they aren't going to bother stealing the pictures because he is the stoolie. In the middle of the night, though, Chooch catches Rodney sneaking out of the bunk bedroom. Chooch stops for a second to listen to a door where he can hear Sasson tucking a kid in for no reason. We need another gay joke. Let's put it right here. He continues following Rodney to a meeting with Leisman, and he's recording it. They're they're standing in the middle of this row of hanging dummies for, like, they're stabbing dummies, I guess. And uh, Leisman thinks he hears something, and he stands up, and he just stabs the dummy next to Chooch a bunch. Uh, but Chooch is not a dummy, so he's worried that he might get stabbed in place of a dummy. Even I'm though sorry, what are stabbing dummies? Just dummies that you stab. You, you used to practice, like, with a... bayonet at the end of your gun oh okay the next morning the kids are all sitting down to eat some pig balls even the muslim kid feel like you're not supposed to eat pig right but he was he the one that was super into it one of them was super into it yeah it was it was was him he had like a giant pile so they were trying to make mustard and just scarfing them down i think that they were trying to make a people in the middle east eat weird things joke and they forgot that the one weird thing that they don't eat is any part of a pig yeah but rodney is grossed out by this meal and he leaves long enough for chooch to play the recording of him making a deal with leisman so they decide they're going to scrap the previous plan and make a new plan and leave Rodney out of it. Uh, as we get closer to the plan coming to fruition, Rodney's getting more and more nervous because all he knows about the new plan is that he has to start a fight with Leisman and get punched. Yeah, get knocked out. So uh, the dance starts. There's a dance with the girls' school invited. And uh, Ike is talking to Oliver there and he says, does Candy know what to do? And he says, yeah, she knows all, the whole plan. And he says, wow, she's so pretty. She she stands out like a turd in a punch bowl. That's three times. So this is, by now, laughing out loud. Yeah. Very funny. If, if only there was some kind of crescendo, some kind of way of making this joke really pay off for the movie. Yes. In his cabin, Leisman suddenly notices a dog, Sergeant Patty. The, despite the door not having opened, the dog has just arrived. And he says, oh, what's that dog? You want to have sex? And then he feeds the dog a condom. And then the dog leaves through a closed door. Okay, I must have totally zoned out at this part. I don't remember any of this. That sounds horrible. Yeah, he gives the dog a condom in a wrapper, just tucks it in the dog's mouth, and the dog, you know, bites it. And then turns around and walks away like the dog's going to use the condom. But the door never opens. So the dog, I don't know how the I dog is getting I love that the problem that you have with this scene is the door not opening. <laughs> well, he just turns around like, oh, dog, good to see you, dog. Here, eat a condom, dog. Bye, dog. Is there and dog- never opens a door. Is it's there just- a doggy door? We don't see one. Okay. There's not one in the the only door that we know of to this bungalow. 
Oh man, this next bit is so great. So there's this group, this acapella group called the Landmines, and they come out and they sing bad on purpose. The middle ordinary things that everyone ought to do. I'm living in. So we get, oh my God, there's so many great inserts for this. So uh, everyone leaves and doesn't like the music except for Leisman. He likes it. Outside, we see Barbara Bach, and she slurs her way through more weird dialogue. You can hand me that joint. What joint? The one behind your ear. She means joint, but in the South, they say jaunt. <laughs> uh, we, we get this insert of the punch bowl, right? And then something, something breaks in it. But you can't tell what. Something in the punch bowl broke because the music was bad. We see a plate of cookies or, or some sort of a baked good, and one of them explodes. Like with a gunshot sound, like a ricocheting bullet sound. We, we see a woman uh, listening to the music and her glasses break via a jump cut that repositions all of the background characters. And don't forget the woman's shoes. Oh my god, I could not, I could not <laughs> leave out. A lady's shoes fall off. So we continue the inserts here. Uh, stained glass is falling out of the frames. Buildings in stock footage are collapsing and then the entire movie collapses uh literally the frame like a shot of the band performing breaks into shards and falls out of frame leaving just blackness like the movie shattered rodney tells leisman that he doesn't know the plan beyond the fact that they're supposed to get in a fight with each other and uh then the the only legitimately funny joke shows up leisman flirts with a woman from the other school and uh his pickup line is you like it when a gentleman ties you up and she says what and he says you know with rope <laughs> and then she turns around and walks away from him and he sits down next to another girl and he says tickle your ass with a feather what i said uh it's particularly nasty weather that we're having oh yes it is major <laughs> So how about it then there? Like to have your ass tickled with a feather? <laughs> she just starts laughing in his face. Um, then we suddenly get that crescendo you were asking for. Yeah. Here the, it is. The punch bowl has a turd in it. A real turd. Someone put a turd in there. I don't know which one of these kids just dropped trow and sharded into this bowl, but that happened. And it doesn't play into anything. It's not part of the plan. Uh, it doesn't affect anything after this shot. They're worried that they can't find Ike because Ike plays a very important part in this plan. Ike is out smoking with Barbara Bach, um, and they're really worried because they can't find him, and someone's about to read who the king and queen are of this dance. Candy flirts with Leisman, and he says to her, tickle your ass with a feather? And she says, maybe later. And he's like, oh, it finally worked on someone. Uh, the general gives a speech and he farts again so that's three times i think now so that's officially funnier candy and leisman head back to his room and uh the kids hang rodney up on a hook in a closet candy changes into a genie outfit because they're trying to get him into uh an uncomfortable photograph i think we should call it a belly dancing outfit sure <laughs> Belly's belly dancers it, and genius it, are the same it, thing. A la Barbara Eden in I sure. Dream of Genie. <laughs> yes. Um 
Rodney escapes the closet uh, when Candy tricks Leisman into going into the bathroom and changing into an embarrassing uh like women's negligee outfit that she brought with her she opens the door so that the boys can come in and hide behind a couch so when he comes out he's wearing this dress and she's wearing her genie costume her her belly dancing outfit and uh, the boys hit record on the same tape recorder that chuchi used earlier and candy says come over here and whip me and gives him a whip he stands up over the top of her and he pulls this thing back like he's gonna whip her real hard and just lucky timing the guys come out and take a picture before he swings it down and literally just whips this girl rodney bursts in here too late to say hey uncle leisman or uncle vaughn the first name Uh, i think that they have another plan and they're gonna get you uh for some reason though uh leisman lets them leave with the pictures they just took yeah uh that makes no sense well Um, what is he gonna do chase after them in this funny outfit or not even let them leave the room. He has a henchman in the doorway. A big fat henchman that's blocking the whole doorway. I suppose it might have accidentally been too funny to watch him run around the field in yeah. his outfit. Yeah. That might have had a comedic but guess effect. But guess what about happens after they leave this scene in this room? The next scene is they're back in this room. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to uh, sometime later. Uh, maybe he just gave them a chance to take the pictures they took <laughs> in a safe out. place <laughs> and then come back so they could make a deal. Uh, the deal that they end up making is whoever wins the soccer game on Parents' Day uh, gets all the pictures. And why? They already had an agreement to that, not publish the pictures. It's like it's like we got pictures of you, you got pictures of me. That's the end of the game. Yeah, because it's There's, mutually it, assured it's a win-win. destruction. <laughs> but for some reason, they decide to double down. Yeah, I guess. But he agrees. During the national anthem before the game, which is sung by Sison, Hash is invited to fire a rocket during the rocket's red glare portion of the anthem. But he fires a real rocket and accidentally bombs a bridge. Everyone is momentarily shocked, and we get three seconds of Rodney sitting on a bunk bed putting something in his pocket before we cut back to the soccer game. Because otherwise it'd be weird if everyone seemed shocked and then suddenly they just played the soccer game anyway after they blew up a bridge. Ike leads the audience in a chant of go, 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 go. And he tells them all to flip over their cards to reveal the word go, but it says aug. It's it's backwards. Uh, and he calls them stupid honkies. Rodney brings a second rocket to the field. And at a, a very important moment of the game, the card section flips over a photograph of Leisman whipping candy. And uh, they try to tell him, oh, look, look, it's a picture of you. And he's like, oh, you think I was born yesterday? And then they play the recording of him about to whip the girl. And then he realizes, oh, they're not joking. And he looks over. And while he's looking, Chooch scores the winning goal for no reason. Because this deal doesn't matter anymore. Because they just revealed the picture. Right. So they have no leverage anymore. Right. Correct. And then Rodney blows up Leisman's bungalow. So there's not even pictures for them to because they wanted to go and steal them back but they couldn't get in they couldn't get into the safe safe. so that they just accidentally blow it up instead yeah and we see the photographs burning even though the safe isn't destroyed when the building gets blown up but i just don't understand why they thought the deal would be valid because they obviously didn't plan to have the bungalow blow up so right their plan was to steal the pictures back no they're Oh, their plan was to steal the pictures back. But they couldn't get into the safe. 
But the, apparently their plan was also to show his picture and win the game so they would have gotten the pictures as a reward. But I don't know why they had to win the game because their plan was always to steal the pictures back. But it would have been invalid anyways because they showed the picture. Ah, this doesn't make any sense. I also don't know why the day before they were acting like it was a big deal that Ike was missing. Just make sure you're back to take care of Vervegaard before the king and queen are announced or we'll be in big trouble. When they were about to announce the king and queen of the dance, when that didn't factor into anything, and Ike played no part in the prank for the rest of the night. The movie's over, kind of. <sighs> the same newspaper front page has Leisman getting arrested on one side and Dad getting reelected on the other side. Because like, I guess left o- and right, like. But I guess Oliver is the main character. Yeah, I think so. Is he? <laughs> I mean, he's the only one that has a girl and and a goal to not ruin his father's election to get a car and to get the girl and he's the whitest guy of the four so he was probably the main character in 1980 the kids drive away in two cars the, a corvette they got somewhere and uh, well it's oliver's gift car oh it was his me. gift from his father yeah um so that car and then the one that hash bought that was in the garage that they drove through a wall uh so they drive they're driving down the street and they stop for a hitchhiker and after he tosses them his duffel bag, he pulls something off of his head to reveal that he's that it's Leisman. He's hitchhiking because he, he doesn't have a car. And they take his duffel bag, but they just drive away. They drive past him. And then we hear Leisman say, play it again. And they replay that whole portion. They, they, they back it up. It, it plays a rewind sound, but instead of the footage being rewound and us seeing that, we see just like the camera panning left to right in like a telephoto lens zooming really far out into wilderness and uh and so we see him running after the car again and then it says play it again and we see him running after the car again and then the for the third rewind suddenly alfred e newman is standing on the side of the road and he's waving and then we rewind again and he's following the car again and then a word bubble shows up that says what me worry which was Alfred E. Newman's catchphrase. And then we see the opening title sequence played backwards. Um, and the credits are rolling... Uh, down from the top yeah. of the screen. Um, and the, the falling soldier animation is playing it backwards. But also we, we even start on... Because at the end of the opening titles, we pan up uh, from this backdrop to see Alfred E. Newman standing behind the backdrop with his arms up like shrugging i don't know what me worry you know and then uh we see the same thing in reverse now he's putting his arms down and we're panning down the backdrop to these toy soldiers and that's uh that's the end of this film i guess the only other thing to mention is that rodney is now with them again because he blew up the bungalow oh so so they're friends now yeah they're friends again so that was that was his that was his arc he had an arc yeah did chooch have an arc no <laughs> yeah, he was. He got uh, good at soccer. He was good at soccer. That's <laughs> when nobody's arc, right? watching, <laughs> <laughs> or, or when everyone's distracted. Yeah. I'm very good at distracted soccer. <laughs> uh, this film was directed by Robert Downey Sr. I hope he wasn't trying, uh, because I actually really enjoyed Putney Swope, which was ten years earlier. The tagline to Putney Swope, by the way, was "Up Madison Avenue." So, and he went on to do "Up the Academy." Uh, he co-wrote the gong show movie with cia agent chuck barris Uh, he's also the father of iron man writer tom patchett wrote for bob newhart carol burnett he created alf 
He created Alf. Yeah, th- there's like a lot of like decent writing credits under his belt. Wait for it, Jess. You're going to be real sad about this other writer, Jay Tarsus. Uh, he played Coach Finstock in Teen Wolf. I know that's devastating for you. <laughs> you're a big Coach Finstock what? fan. He also wrote the screenplay for The Great Muppet Caper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Muppets Take Manhattan, which makes more sense. Yeah, I don't like that one as much. Apparently, he has an, and I couldn't find an explanation for this, uncredited screenwriting credit on Short Circuit. So he wrote it with Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson. His name is on scripts that I could find, but I have no idea why his name was eventually taken off and he did not get a credit. Uh, Wendell Brown played Ike. I can't explain to you the order of these names. So <laughs> Wendell Brown played Ike. Not not many credits. Uh, Tommy Satara played Hash. Not many credits after this. Hutch Parker was Oliver. Again, he was in like one episode of a soap opera, but now he's a producer on a bunch of Fox Marvel movies because he was the president of the company for a while. Ralph Macchio was Chooch. Obviously, he did the most after this. Uh, he was Johnny Cade in The Outsiders. And then he was Daniel and the Karate Kid. Um, he's Eugene Martone in Crossroads. Um, he plays Bill Gambini in My Cousin Vinny, the guy whose cousin is Vinny. And apparently he's reprising the role of Danny LaRusso for the YouTube series Cobra Kai. Yeah. I didn't realize he was on that, but he he's is. He's probably only in one episode. No, he's in a bunch. Oh, really? I think That's maybe surprising. he became a regular like in a later season when he was like, oh, this show's going to stay on the air. I need a job. Harry Tynowitz played Rodney Vervegart. This was his first film. Uh, it's his only feature character with a name. Um, his career culminated as Ice Cream Clerk in 2000's Return to Me, which is that uh, heart transplant romantic yeah. comedy. Directed by Bonnie Hunt. Yeah, Bonnie Hunt directed and wrote it. She wrote it with, uh, what's his name, Don Lake, the guy from uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie mm-hmm. that played the prostitute in Don't Answer the Phone um Cison was played by tom poston uh he was j arthur conrad in the first happy hooker movie he was george utley in 184 episodes of something i accidentally left the rest of that row blank i just put 184 episodes of newhart bob newhart or just newhart he's in three shows he's in like the bob show the bob newhart show and the newhart well, show. Well, c- considering this this movie was written by two newhart yeah. writers but it's just newhart it says just newhart he was also floyd norton in 32 episodes of grace under fire which was a decent show uh he also plays eric foreman's maternal grandfather on that 70s show so red foreman's father-in-law he is also the voice of the capital city goofball on the simpsons <laughs> oh, okay uh, in season two episode five dance and homer i don't believe it it's really you the capital city goofball hello dancing homer glad to have you aboard if there's anything i can do for you just squeeze the wheeze i think that's all he says in the episode ian wolf played commandant causeway that's the old man who keeps farting he played pto which are my initials in thx 1138 he played the forger in dick tracy that was his last role and he was in another movie that we've seen for this podcast he was in now voyager which is on the TV and Windows. <laughs> uh, Antonio Fargus played the coach, uh, the coach of the soccer team. He's in a lot of classic black exploitation movies. He was Link Brown and Foxy Brown. I assume she, he has some relation to Foxy. He played Bunky in Shaft, and he played Fly Guy in I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. 
which is the Keenan Ivory Wayans black exploitation parody movie. He also plays a taxi driver in Firestarter. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I actually remember that part. Yeah, because uh, uh, Charlie's father like mind controls him into thinking that the bill that he gives him is like like a hundred dollar bill. Oh, when it was, that's like, shitty. You you will take the credits. What does he say? Imperial credits will be fine. Imperial credits will be fine. Stacy Nelkin plays Candy. Uh, she was Marlene the teen grocery store clerk in Serial who Martin Mull started dating during a brief separation from his wife, the one who was all... The one uh, that then went on to date the other guy? Yeah, I think she did, yeah. yeah. Uh, The guy who kills himself after they break up. Um, And she was also at least partly the inspiration for the Mariel Hemingway character in Manhattan after having dated Woody Allen briefly in high school. She was 17 and he was 41. Uh, she also played Ellie Grimbridge in Halloween 3 and Triola in Yellowbeard. Yeah, that's what I know her from. <laughs> she's she's actually cute in this, and she does a fine job with all of her scenes. It's just very, very terrible material. Uh, Barbara Bach was Miss Bliss. This was a year before she met Ringo Starr on the set of Caveman, and the two of them were married um, and are still married, I think. Yeah, yeah, they're still married. This was three years after her appearance as Anya Amasova in... Uh, the spy who loved me uh which she's actually the main character of that book have you have you read the books i I have not okay the the book is actually really interesting because it's like a a coming of age story about this girl before she is taken hostage by jaws and this other guy at a hotel Mm. and james bond just like comes in three quarters of the way through the story to save her and that's it's it's a very interesting bond book yeah because the movie is very different yes yeah. yeah She's already an agent. But it does have Jaws in it. Yeah, and then he does. came back for Moonraker because he was so popular. Uh, in addition to having a Beatle husband, she also has an Eagle brother-in-law because her sister is married to Joe Walsh of the Eagles. Candy Ann Brown played Nubia. I forget if that is the first or second stepmother of the Ike character. I thought it was the first The one. first wife. Because um, I thought when he's talking about the letter, he calls the second stepwife Nubia also. I don't know if that's just a continuity error. Well, because there's someone credited as second stepmother. Okay. Well, anyway, this is the first one then. Um, she played the girl that the guys brought home from the bar in Heartbeat. Do you remember when they found a girl at the oh, bar yes. and they brought her back to the house yes. and tried to put her in the attic? <laughs> and uh, she will not be seen in a feature again until Lost in America in 1985. Um, that's a good movie. That's the one with... Uh, Albert Brooks and uh, Julie Haggerty, where they go on the road trip because he quit his job. I don't remember that one. We watched it with Matt. It's really it's, it's, funny. It's, it's really good. Uh, King Coleman played Reverend MacArthur. That's Ike's father. Uh, he is actually a musician, and uh, he wrote a song that was very popular called Do the Mashed Potatoes. Uh, Rosalie Cetera is credited as Mrs. Bombalazzi. Bombalazzi is the name of the mafia family, Chucha's mafia family. So... She's playing Chooch's mother, but she has the same last name as the kid who's playing the Hash character. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is just his mom and she was on set and they were like, can you sit next to that guy so that we have a a mom character? And she was like, fine, because she doesn't have any lines. This is her only credit. Tyrese Allen played the assistant cook. I don't remember a cook in this movie, let alone an assistant cook. (laughs) But Tyrese Allen played Starkweather in Robocop. Allison Downey, that's a... Robert Jenny Jr.'s sister played that platoon leader I said before. Tanya Boyd was Reverend Ike's second wife. She played Celeste Peralt in 223 episodes of Days of Our Lives. 
Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was a boy on the soccer team, uncredited. Uh, he is the son of the director. He's Tony Stark and Sherlock Holmes. and Recently, Dr. Doolittle, although it's probably... He doesn't want me to tell you that. And he played Chaplin very well. Ron Liebman was Major Vaughn Leisman. He's uncredited by request. He played the father of Rachel Green on Friends. He played Dr. Cohen in Garden State, which I think is the guy who has so many certificates on his wall that some of them are on the ceiling um which is a funny bit and uh he's also the voice of archer's stepfather ron cadillac yeah on, on archer <laughs> yeah he's he great a, he's such a great part of that show because ron cadillac is freaking epic but uh this movie's not his fault he actually has the only lines that i laughed at um well and he only he was the only one that had the sense to ask for his name to yeah. be removed as soon as he said he's like okay yeah this is what i thought on set this is why i wanted to come to this screening go ahead and leave me out of this one yeah do we have a lot more to say about this movie i have very little to say about this movie yeah, i don't I, either don't watch it it's a no from me <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm surprised you've actually gotten to this point in our podcast <laughs> yeah yeah, that's a no. It's a no from from all of us, I believe. Yes, I agree. I'm trying to think of what they could have done right. Um, this is not a parody film. That's where they went wrong. The Mad Magazine is a magazine that parodies movies. All they needed to do was take a serious film genre and do a parody of it. There are hundreds of parody films. This film is not a parody. It's just a straightforward comedy about kids at a military academy. At no point are they making a joke about something that happens in this kind of movie all the time. Well, at no point are they making a joke. Like Really, they're not. <laughs> it's just nothing is funny. They, I think that they, it seems like being weird was enough. And they were like, this isn't a thing that a person would do in this situation. So people will laugh at it because it's counterintuitive, I guess. E- even Gorp had more jokes than this. Yes, absolutely. Well, Gorp had setups and punchlines all over the place. So that's where I'm struggling right now. I am literally looking at Gorp and thinking, oh my God, I hated that movie so much. I don't ever want to ever, ever, ever see it again. It was nothing but a bunch of dudes screaming in every scene. And I'm struggling to decide if I want this above or below that. It's definitely less funny than Gorp. It's less funny than Gorp, but I think it's less annoying than Gorp. Yeah. Looking at my list now. Richard, do you know where this goes on your list? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not at the bottom. Um, it's I'm actually going to put this. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, I think I'm going to put this below Baltimore Bullet. Okay. Which is above nothing personal. Okay. Well, I think I am also going to put it above nothing personal, but nothing personal is at the very bottom of my list. So this is second is really? last. That's the bottom. That's the bottom. And I am putting this below Gorp because I think you're right. As much as I didn't like it, at least they had some jokes in that one. I am not copying you guys, but I am also putting it exactly right above nothing personal and below uh, happy hooker goes Hollywood. Um, that puts it, above only nothing personal bon voyage charlie brown and home movies if you're listening to this because you saw this movie when you were a kid and you remember it being really funny and you think we were unfair rent it because you deserve to rent it if you think that (laughs) and uh come to terms with it no no no. i think i maybe if you really like this movie you could explain some of the jokes i mean that doesn't make it funnier but maybe you could help us understand it I think that if someone thought this movie was funny ever, it's because they were seven when they watched it. 
and they were like because uh, he's arab and he's bowing to oil because they oil is they like oil and they can't run out of gas because they're arab they just have gas it just spills out of their hands i'm sorry for this episode i think that's everything for this one if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram and letterbox whereas i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you take the time to leave us a review we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode if your feelings i can't ask you for money for this episode thank you so much for listening i hope that you will join us next time when we'll be discussing urban cowboy which imdb describes like so bud is a young man from the country who learns about life and love in a Houston bar. We leave you now with a trailer for Urban Cowboy. Travolta, Urban Cowboy.